We're looking at 2 Timothy today. Uh, at, I've, as you're turning there, I, Pastor Stephen mentioned this. There is an insert in your bulletin about uh, an ice cream social for Neil and Rita Wachenfuss. Neil and Rita are missionaries through Child Evangelism Fellowship that we support here at the church. Uh, we have for years, you, many of you know Neil and Rita. They were local Child Evangelism Fellowship directors here in the Aberdeen area before they went to the, the CEF headquarters in Warrington, Missouri. Uh, they're coming back to the area for a little bit, and uh, they're having a, a large group social gathering at First Baptist Church, which you are all invited to if you'd like to come and, and see them and hear more in a large group uh, setting. You can do that in the inserts there telling you about that. But Neil and Rita have also offered to meet in smaller groups uh, with people from our church, and uh, they would love to come to your home and to uh, visit with you in a, in a smaller group, have a few people over and visit with you about their ministry. And so if you would be interested in hosting a small gathering like that in the time that they're home, uh, please let me know, and we'll try to put those, those, that information together and put those gatherings together so that you can learn more about their ministry and just reconnect with them as they're back in our area for a couple of weeks. We're in for, we're in 2 Timothy, sorry, we're in 2 Timothy today, the second letter that, that Paul writes to Timothy, and this is, the, this is the last of Paul's letters. We have been walking through Paul's letters following our time in Acts where we, where we kind of knew and understood the ministry that Paul had had, and, and so we've done some broad overviews of his letters. I said early on in the, in the midst of this series that what we were going to try to do was give the 30,000-foot view of these letters, and, and I think that's what we, we've tried to do. Uh, in fact, it's been somewhat difficult sometimes to, to get a, the, the whole letter, a, a letter to the Galatians or the Ephesians or the Philippians, in just two or three weeks trying to narrow all of that content and information down. But we've walked through them all, Galatians, 1st and 2nd Thessalonians, 1st and 2nd Corinthians, Romans, Ephesians, Colossians, Philemon, and then last, and Philippians, and then last week we looked at both the letter, first letter to Timothy and the letter to Titus. This week we look at the very last letter that we know of that Paul has written, uh, the second letter to Timothy. Last week I mentioned that the letters to Timothy and Titus came in kind of the epilogue of the book of Acts. The rest of the letters, as we look, we could, we could point to a place in Acts where, where Paul was, even the last letters that he wrote, the Ephesians, uh, Colossians, Philemon, and Philippians, were, were written at the end of, his, of the story in Acts, where Paul has is, is been imprisoned, he'd been, he's been sent uh, from Jerusalem, Caesarea, he's been sent then to, to Rome. He's imprisoned in Rome, uh, kind of in a house arrest situation. He does have a guard that's probably chained to him, but he's able to have visitors come in. He's able to write letters. Uh, lots of different people are, are there with him while he's imprisoned in Rome, and he's awaiting, he's awaiting trial. And so he writes those prison letters we said, Ephesians, Colossians, Philemon that got sent off, and then later Philippians that got written to the church in Philippi. He writes those letters while he's imprisoned there in Rome. And the book of Acts ends. 
And we don't know exactly what happens to Paul. It's not spelled out in the book of Acts like the rest of the story. What church history tells us is that Paul ultimately was released from prison. Probably his accusers from, from Jerusalem never showed up. There was, probably, there was probably not even a trial that happened there in, in Rome. And Paul kind of knew that. Even in Philippians, we kind of saw that Paul was expecting to be released. He was released, and, and as I mentioned last week, he began his travels again. We, we don't know exactly where he went. We, there, we have some speculation that he maybe did continue on and try to go to Spain. We also know that he did, in fact, go back to the east. We, he visited Ephesus, and he had Timothy with him, and, and he, he dropped Timothy off in Ephesus. And as Paul left Ephesus, he had Timothy stay behind so that Timothy could lead the church in Ephesus and, and continue to help them to combat some of the teachings that were against them and, and to lead the church there. So Timothy got left in Ephesus. Titus was taken to the island of Crete. And Paul planted a number of churches on the island in Crete and then leaves Titus and says, Titus, you stay here. You continue to teach here at this, in, in these churches here on this island. And Paul goes off and ends up in Macedonian area somewhere, maybe, maybe Philippi. Uh, he, had, he had talked in the letter to the Philippians that he wanted to come and to visit them. And so somewhere in that general area, Paul writes these two letters back to, Ty to Timothy and to Titus to tell them what he wants them to do and how he wants them to lead the church. He gives them instructions on how they, they might be able to come against the false teachers that are in those areas. He helps them to identify leaders for the church and, and helps them to better understand how they might care for their congregants. He also talks several times in the book, first letter to Timothy and to Titus, about how they're to fight the fight of faith. And last week, as we tried to walk through those two books in, in, in just in a short amount of time, I, I said that there's a unique part to these letters. There's several times in the letters to Timothy and Titus, first and second Timothy and Titus, where Paul says, this saying is trustworthy. It's almost as if Paul is saying, I'm writing a lot of things, but this is important. Listen, pay close attention to what I'm saying. And so last week we looked at some of those places. They were, there were four different places that we looked at last week. And in each instance, in each instance, Paul reminded us and reminded Timothy and Titus, reminded us of the gospel, a reminder that we are to lift our eyes to Jesus. He reminded us over and over that we're, we're lost. We were sinners, but God saved us. He washed us. He regenerated us, he says. He justified us so that we might walk and work and fight to point to him. In fact, there's one more instance of Paul using that same saying, this saying is trustworthy, here in 2 Timothy Chapter 2. Why don't you turn to chapter 2 just to look again at how Paul uses this saying and how he gives us a picture of the gospel in the midst of it. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, we're going to start in verse 8. He says it this way. He says, Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal. But the word of God is not Bound. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they may also obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. 
The saying is trustworthy. For if we have died with him, we also live with him. If we endure, we also will reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful. For he cannot deny himself. Even here, in the midst of this part of the letter, Paul, Paul again reminds Timothy, Jesus has risen. Jesus has brought salvation, and so we endure. So we live for him. We work for him. Paul is reminding Timothy again of the gospel, again, that God has saved us through Jesus Christ so that we might work and live for him. Paul wrote those letters while he was journeying around on what we would call his fourth missionary journey, the journey that we don't, as I mentioned, don't have a picture of. We don't know the route that he went on. What church history tells us, though, is that in the midst of that, Paul is traveling and journeying, and, and things begin to change in the Roman Empire. When Paul first is in Rome and is first imprisoned, he's, he's probably under house arrest, probably in some kind of, of rental house that Paul would have been responsible to, to pay for. But, it, but it, wasn't, it wasn't all that dark. He had, a, he had a pretty nice setup for being a prisoner. People were able to come and go. He had, a, he had a fairly nice setup. But now, as Paul is on this journey, things have changed. Nero, who is the emperor of Rome, uh, he, has, he himself actually has, has changed. Early on in his, in his rule over Rome, uh, he, he, was, he was much more reasonable than later in life. He was, he was, he was, some would say he was much more sane in those first few years of his rule than he was in the later part of his rule. He didn't put a lot of people to death when Paul was in prison. That was partly why Paul expected to be released when he wrote that letter to the Philippians uh, and, and in fact was released. But something changes in Nero and, and in fact somewhere in the, in the late 60s AD, he was probably released from prison. The end of Acts is somewhere around 60 or 61 AD. Five years later, 66 to 60, 68 A.D., somewhere in there. And everything has changed. Nero uh, himself probably had a fire that was set in Rome, and much of Rome uh, has, has burned to the ground, and he has blamed that fire uh, on the Christians. And so there is, there's this huge sentiment that has risen in Rome, uh, in Rome in particular, against believers, but also it's been spread out all through the Roman Empire, especially coming out of Rome. Persecution has begun to, to come against the Christians, and so Paul, as the leader, one of the leaders of the early church, in fact, the leader of the early church at this point probably, has now been arrested. He's been hauled back to Rome, and this time there's no cushy rental home that he's going to be kept in prison. In fact, uh, church history tells us that Paul was probably held in the Mamertine prison. And we've looked at this back when we walked through our book of Acts, but the, the Mamertine prison was, was the, the, the deepest, darkest prison that they could put you in in Rome. In fact, it probably started as a cistern. There was a, just a, a, a hole in this deep cavern. There was a hole in the, in the ceiling of it or the floor, depending on which level of, of this prison you were on. And, and 
there was no other way to get in and out except through this hole into the cistern. They would throw the prisoners down in there. They would drop a rope when it was time for them to come up. It was dark. There was a little bit of sunlight that would come from, from above in a hole in the roof through then the hole in the floor into the cistern. Peter, the other main disciple, main leader of the church that we looked at in the book of Acts, he also was held in this same prison uh, before he was, was brought up and, and crucified, inverted. His head was at the bottom, his feet were at the top so that he, he would not be crucified in the same way that Jesus was. Peter also was thrown in this prison. Paul is now thrown in this prison too, and he knows that while he was able to escape an execution on his last stay in this house arrest, this time there's really no hope of that. Paul knows that he is going to be executed. The good news if you can call it good news, the good news for Paul is that as a Roman citizen, his method of execution that Nero will use for Paul is, is decapitation, that he'll have his head chopped off. And Paul knows that that's exactly what's going to happen not long after he writes this letter. This is the last letter that we have, at least, of what Paul wrote. And those are some of the things I think, that are on Paul's mind as he writes this letter to Timothy. It's amazing, in fact, some commentators would say, it's amazing, in fact, that he even has the ability to write this letter in this dark and damp prison that he even could, could, could have the supplies to do it. But he writes this knowing that there's not much time left. And so he begins his letter, you'll see it in 2 Timothy in chapter 1, he begins his, his letter with instructions for Timothy and for the other believers that Timothy is, is ministering to. He says, don't be ashamed about my imprisonment, he says. You'll see it in, in 2 Timothy chapter 1, why don't we start, we'll read together in verse 6. He says, for this reason I remind you, fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, for which I was appointed a preacher and apostle and teacher, which is why I suffer as I do. But I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard until the day what has been entrusted to me. Follow the pattern of the sound words that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus by the Holy Spirit who dwells within us. Guard the good deposit that's been entrusted to you. Paul begins by giving Timothy instructions that says, don't be ashamed. Don't be ashamed to be a believer. Don't be ashamed. Don't be ashamed of what's happening to me. But he says persecution is coming. Paul is an example of that. He, being in, in the dungeon, in the Mamertine prison, he knows that persecution is coming for the church. 
It's not just him as the leader that's been thrown into the dungeon, but he knows that it's going to happen to a number of believers. And he says, persecution is coming. Things are going to be hard. And so he says in verse 8, share in the suffering. He says to Timothy, he says to the church, share in the suffering for the gospel by the power of God. Things are going to be hard but share in the suffering with me. Why, he says in verse 12, why do I suffer the way that I do? I'm not ashamed, but I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is going to guard until that day what's been entrusted to me. I trust in him, he says. I know whom is working in me. He says, God doesn't want us, he tells Timothy and the early believers, God does not want us to cower in fear. He said that in verse 7, God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. He doesn't want us to be afraid. He doesn't want us to cower away in fear. Yes, it's going to be hard. Yes, there's going to be persecution. Yes, there's going to be people and authorities that will come against you. Yes. Yes, it's going to be hard. But the Holy Spirit works in you. The Holy Spirit dwells within us, he says in verse 14. The Holy Spirit dwells within us and guards the good deposit that's been entrusted to us. We have hope. Yes, it's going to be hard, but the Holy Spirit dwells in you. This second letter that he gives to Timothy, this last letter that he writes from the prison cell, from the dungeon, says things are going to be hard, but don't be ashamed. Don't cower in fear. Share in the suffering for the gospel of God because the Holy Spirit dwells in us and will give us the strength and power we need for it. Paul goes on to remind Timothy of the same things that he's reminded each and every church and person as he's written these letters. He reminds them of the same things over and over. And and one of those things... One of the things that Paul never shies away from in every letter, he never shies away from people's natural tendency to head towards sin and selfishness. I want you to look at chapter three because Paul, again, this is his last letter. He doesn't have long. He doesn't even know how much time he has and and hopes to get this letter out to Timothy. And he says here in chapter three, right away in verse, starting in verse one of chapter three, He says to Timothy, understand this, that in the last days, there are going to come times of difficulty because people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. Avoid such people. For among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women, burdened with sins and led astray by various passions always learning and never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth, just like Giannis and Yambres opposed Moses. So these men also opposed the truth. Men corrupted in mind, disqualified regarding the faith, but they will not get very far, for their folly will be plain to all as it was 
that of those two men. Paul never shies away from sin. Paul reminds the church over and over and over again that we are sinners. Even even those of us who have come to faith, even those of us who know Jesus, even those of us who have the Holy Spirit that dwells inside of us, we still have those moments. We still have those moments where we are lovers of self and lovers of money and proud and arrogant and abusive and disobedient. Paul reminds us over and over of our sin. And as I say, almost every time we've talked about this, we have to be aware of our sin. We have to see the depth of our sin so that we might better understand and better rejoice in the hope of our salvation. We rejoice more in the redemption that comes through Jesus when we understand the depth of our own sin. A little later in that same chapter, Paul, Paul goes on to say that, that people will have itching ears, even those people who are in the church, he says. They'll have itching ears and they will not want to endure sound teaching. That even those of us here in the church will twist things to hear them the way that we want to hear them, to understand them in the way that we want to understand them. We don't want We don't want to see truth. We don't want to hear truth. We'll twist it to our own narrative. Paul reminds Timothy, we're sinners and we are lost in our sin. But he also gives Timothy the answer to that. He says, you are lost in sin and the people that you are going to minister to, they are lost in sin too. They are proud and arrogant and abusive and ungrateful and unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control. He's all of those things. And so this is what he says to Timothy. Preach the word. Preach the word. He says it in 2 Timothy, look at chapter 3, verse 14. But as for you, he says to Timothy, continue in what you have learned and firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and from how childhood you've been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. I charge you, he continues in chapter four, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but have itching ears. They will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. They will turn away from listening to the truth, and they will wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded. Endure suffering. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. Paul's telling Timothy, people are going to want to do their own thing. They're going to want to hear their own thing. They're going to twist things. And so you need to be a man who preaches the word. One of the things that I think Paul is trying to help Timothy with, not just Timothy, but, but the church in general, 
Paul knows that the apostles, many of them have already been put to death when Paul here in the late 60s, 60, AD, late 60s. Many of them have already been put to death. And he knows that, that the apostles, those ones who walked with Jesus, those early leaders in the church, they're gone or about to be gone. And so these, the church needs to have men who will be able to lead to the word in this post-apostle era, they have to be men of the word. You can't rely anymore on the apostles. You can't rely anymore on those early church leaders who are with Jesus, who can say, I heard Jesus say this. Jesus, remember when Jesus told us this. The first person generation is going to be gone. And so Paul is telling Timothy, told him in the first letter, you need to find good leaders for the church. You need to find men who are, who are invested and focused on the word. And then he tells Timothy, you too, preach the word. There's not going to be any more firsthand accounts now. Now you have to preach the word. You have to take them back to the word. Preach the word. Be ready in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with complete patience and teaching. All scripture is breathed out by God. It's all profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and training in righteousness. Preach the word, Paul says to Timothy. Why? Because Paul knows the end is near. That's, in fact, the way he closes the letter. The end of chapter four there. Starting in verse 6, Paul says, I am already being poured out as a drink offering. And the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Paul says, I am being poured out like a drink offering. Even here, Paul is reminding Timothy and remembering the sacrifice, the altar. Remembering the drink offering that would be poured out onto the altar. Paul saying, I am being poured out just like that drink offering. The time of my departure has come. As I shared with you as we walked through the end of the book of Acts, this, this phrase departure that Paul uses here, it, it's, it means it would be used in a number of different ways, but one of the ways might be that, that you would release the mooring lines from a boat that's tied to the dock and, and it gets sent off and pushed off the dock and set sail. Might be used in the same way to take up all the stakes of the tent knowing that you were about to, to move on to a new location. It also, it also might mean the time for an examination, like a final exam. All of those things, I think, is what Paul has in mind here. He says, says the time of my departure has come. It's time for me to, to set sail. It's time for me to drop the sides of the tent and to pack it up and to move on. It's time for me to have my final examination. 
It's time for me to move on. I fought the good fight. I finished the race. I've kept the faith. Paul did exactly that. He fought the good fight. We've seen him fight all the way through. Even as, he, as he's written these letters to these churches, he, is, he has been fighting for them and helping them to fight the fight of faith as well. He's finished the race, and he's kept the faith. Those who finished a race during Paul's time, they weren't awarded a, a, a trophy of any kind. There was not a plaque with their name on it. They weren't given a gold medal. Those who finished the race, the champion of the race, would have a, a, a laurel placed on his head. A, a crown would be placed on the winner of the race. That's what Paul's referencing here. That there will be a laurel wreath placed on the head of the finisher. And Paul says, it's not just for me. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, but not only to me, but to all of those who finish the race like me, for all of those who have loved his appearing. Each of us who fight this fight of faith, Paul says, each of us who fight all the way to the end, each of us who, who dive into the word and love the word, each of us who... who have trusted in Jesus, each of us who have, who have fought our sin, each of us who have looked to the finished work of Christ, each of us who have loved the appearing of Jesus, there is a crown for us. Paul was waiting for his crown. The irony of it is that the one that day who was wearing the crown, Nero, was waiting for Paul's head to be chopped off and left at the foot of the chopping block. And Paul is writing because he knows that the one who finished the work of the altar is also waiting for Paul's head because he wants to award it a crown of righteousness. Paul knows that he's probably going to lose his head and yet he knows that Jesus in that same moment, will place the crown on his head. Paul closes the letter by saying, Timothy, I want you to come. You're in Ephesus, but I want you to come and I want you to be with me. Bring my coat, he says. Bring, bring my, my scrolls. I need, I need the warmth of a coat. I need the company of a good friend and I need the promises of the word. And then he says in verse 18, toward the close of his letter, he says, the Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and will bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. We don't know. We don't know how long it was at the close of this letter until Paul was actually beheaded. We know church history tells us it happened, but we don't know the timing. Could have been days, could have, could have maybe been weeks, maybe even a month or more. And after Paul writes this and says, the Lord's going to rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom, 
We don't know how many hours passed after he wrote those words. But we know it wasn't very long until those words were exactly true. Until he put his head down and then he heard, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. Paul knew. Paul knew that the Lord would rescue him from every evil deed and bring him safely into his heavenly kingdom. And so that's what he wants Timothy to know. Work hard all the way to the end. Preach the word all the way to the end because I have fought the fight and I wait for the crown of righteousness which Jesus will place on my head. Today, we celebrate in communion just as Paul would have remembered that our hope is in the finished work of Jesus. Paul worked harder than any of them, he said, but he didn't trust in his own work and in his own efforts and in his own righteousness, but trusted wholly and completely on the finished work of Jesus. And he gives us that same call today. There's an invitation in your bulletin today. We invite you today to read through that invitation. We have open communion here at Richland. If you're visiting with us today, we would love to have you share in communion with us if you can live under this invitation, knowing that there is no other way for us to be saved except through the finished work of Jesus. In just a moment, the worship team is going to come and lead us. The elders are going to come and, and reveal the elements. And we invite you today, if you would like to come, we'll have the, the elders will, will release each pew. We'll invite you to come down and to pick up. There's two cups that are stacked together. We invite you to, to take both cups. The bottom cup has the bread. The top cup has the juice. Take them back to your seat with you, and then we'll partake in communion together. For those that are in the balcony, there's, there's some elements at the back of the balcony. The elders are going to come, and they're going to lead us in communion, I hope that you will share it with us today.
Jesus took the bread and said, take and eat, remember. So I invite you to do that now. This represents the blood of Jesus, which was shed for our sin. Take and drink and be grateful for his sacrifice. Let me invite you to stand for our benediction. Some of the last words of Paul that we know of at the close of the letter, second letter to Timothy. He says this, The Lord be with your spirit. Grace be with you. Thank you for coming this morning.